0: knew him uh, about Jesus Christ and all that he is and it's called Who is our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone let's continue learning it today <laughs>
1: good morning church it is great uh, to see you guys here today and welcome uh, to worship welcome back uh, maybe for the first time for some of you and uh, for some of you, it just might be a, the first time uh, here uh, worshiping with us. And uh, we would love uh, to get to know you and your, your family better. And online, we have our uh, connection card, and that is at fbcmelinfo slash connect. And uh, you can uh, let us know that you're here, and or if you just have a prayer request too. We'd love to uh, be praying uh, for you this week. Well, typically during this time, uh, we we greet one another, and so we're not shaking hands uh, still, uh, but uh, you can do a little throwback to uh, Mork and Mindy, a little nanu nanu, or uh, you can just kind of wave to your neighbors around you. Why don't we greet each other uh, this morning? Well, this morning we have a uh, kind of special, uh, uh, just important announcement here. But just uh, our next step of uh, reopening our church will begin next week. And it's kind of a, a small step, but an important one, that we are uh, reopening our preschool. And this will allow uh, families that have younger ones that haven't been able to uh, attend uh, worship at all these last few weeks uh, an opportunity to do so. And so uh, this will be for uh kids who are uh, just born, you know, born, birth through uh, kindergarten, kids who have completed kindergarten this year. And it's going to be during just the 8.30 and 11.30 service. And so that will give us uh, that 10 o'clock hour uh, where we can really uh, clean uh, thoroughly, make sure that everything is uh, safe and good for the 11.30 uh, service. Uh, But to do do so, uh, we are asking that uh, parents that you RSVP uh, your child just so we can make sure that we are uh, well prepared uh, for your uh, preschoolers coming. And uh, with that note too, we have a, a number of uh, our faithful preschool teachers who are just itching to get back but either because they're higher risk or they're just not feeling comfortable yet, they aren't able to to return. And so if, uh, if serving in uh, preschool is something that you'd be comfortable with, that you'd uh, be interested in, uh, we'd love to kind of add you on to our team here. And uh, you can email Jennifer Roberts, our preschool ministry director, at jennifer at fbcmel, uh, dot org. Well, today is uh, Father's Day, and uh, we want to recognize our fathers this morning. And so if you are a father, would you uh, please uh, stand for us? We just want to honor you and thank you for leading your families, being great dads. At the end of the service, we do have a a gift for you out at the tables. Maybe some of you saw them on the way in uh, uh, this morning. But uh, we have a special uh, Father's Day video here, too, that we want to share with you.
2: is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, uh, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? hey don't put that back where you found it just leave it on the floor ew bacon if you put a dent in the car it's really no big deal it's 10 a.m go back to bed look whatever your friends are doing just do the exact same thing i got more than enough sleep last night if your friends are okay with it then i'm okay with it stop signs are just a suggestion you don't need a chaperone you don't need a seatbelt. you don't need a savings account you should buy the jeans with the holes in them hey we're all gonna go to church but you can just sleep in okay Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills! Yay, traffic! Woohoo, taxes! Yes, laundry! Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? (laughs) Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason, texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree.
3: That's a really good idea. I, uh, have never said any of those things either, except for the one about bacon. I know my kids are over there talking about it. I'm the only guy in the world that doesn't like bacon, but it's the only unhealthy thing I don't like, so I'm not going to try to learn it, but... Um but happy Father's Day again to all of our fathers. And on this special Father's Day, we have a couple of special families that are coming on this day to uh, just to dedicate their children to the Lord. And, uh, and so I'll start here with uh, Mr. Andrew and Kylie. And so some of y'all may not know that this is like our pastoral couple, right? So this is uh, Pastor Dennis's son and Pastor Doug's daughter. And so these are our pastoral grandchildren, all right, of our, <laughs> of our church here. And so uh, adding to Mackenzie and Haley, the little one here, Easton Carter-Smith. Who was born back on August 30th of last year? Is nine months old. Love those glasses there. Got one with those two, and uh so, so thankful for little Easton. And uh, then also, this is also the Smiths family. Another one of Pastor Dennis's sons, Nathan, his wife Jerica, and uh, they have little Elliot here, who is two. But today they're coming to dedicate Owen Walker Smith who was born on January 27th of this year and is five months old. And so we just thank the Lord for these new additions to these families. And uh, coming today, just, uh, just as Hannah did with her son Samuel, to say we want our kids to grow up in the courts of the Lord and to, and to know and love him. And so I know Pastor Jason's going to lead us just in a time of dedication, and then we'll we'll pray together over these, these children.
1: Well, there'll be a, a place for the parents to respond and then later uh, the congregation Um, but uh, parents god has given you the gift of life and entrusted you with a magnificent responsibility will you protect and nurture this gift god expects you to teach your children through the example of a godly life will you strive to live lives consistent with god's word before your children Church family, will you encourage these parents as they commit to raise their children in the training and instruction of the Lord as taught in Ephesians six four? Then let us all dedicate ourselves to the teaching to teaching the ways of Christ to our children.
3: Children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord church family, there was a part in there where we made a commitment to stand with these families and to help them to model what it looks like to run after the Lord Jesus. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you if you would stand at this time as as we just together with these two families pray uh, over their little ones and dedicate them to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for Easton and for Owen. Father, for adding them to these two wonderful families. God, we pray for these parents, Father. We pray that, uh, Lord, you would just work in their lives, hold them close to you. Father, as they chase after you, give them the grace and the strength to be the mom and the dad that you've called them to be. And, Father, for these little ones, we just pray, God, that when they are old enough to understand the gospel, to understand uh, what your son Jesus did for them at the cross, God, that they would put their faith and their trust in you. And, God, that you would not only save them, but, Father, that you would use them in incredible ways, that others might be saved, that others might hear about your love. God, help us as a church uh, to encourage these families uh, in you. And, Father, we just pray that you would wrap your arms around them. We pray, uh, Father, that you would bless and keep these families, that you would make your face to shine upon these families and these little ones today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Church family, would you celebrate with these families today in this time of dedication? Love you. you guys. Amen. Thank you.
0: Would you just remain standing as we sing about our great, good, and heavenly Father? He loves us, he keeps us. He has provided for us. He has made a way of salvation for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. You will hold us to the end oh and i've heard a thousand stories of love.
3: You have your Bibles today, and I hope you do. Do you turn with me to Acts chapter 4? And again, it is so good to see you on this Father's Day. I want to welcome those who are joining us on our iCampus this morning as well, and welcome them also. We are in the middle of a series called Jesus' Approval Rating. And what we have seen in this series is that as the early church went out and shared the message of Jesus, that there were some who approved, there were some who believed and became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were others who did not approve, others who were not thrilled at all with their message and who did all that they could to get the church to stop talking about Jesus and we're jumping in today in verse 23 of chapter 4. Really, we're jumping into the beginning of a prayer service that the early church had. But in order for us to understand what they were praying about, we need to know kind of the events that led up to this prayer meeting. And so just a quick recap. In in chapter three, uh, Peter and John go into the temple complex to pray. As they're walking in, they see a man who is lying by the gate, who is crippled, has been crippled from the time he was born, and now he is over 40 years of age. And he's begging for money, but Peter and John stop, and Peter looks at him, and he says those words that we read in chapter 3, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately and miraculously, this man's legs are healed. And he stands up and even begins to jump and leap around the courtyard of the temple. A big crowd came to see what was going on. And Peter took that opportunity to share with them about Jesus. How it was Jesus who had healed this man. How it was Jesus who could save those who were listening. If they would turn and put their faith in him. And of course, the same is true this morning. Jesus still saves today when we turn and we put our faith in him. And there were some in the crowd listening who did believe, but there were religious leaders who were there who did not like what Peter was saying. In fact, they didn't even let him finish his sermon. They went up and and grabbed Peter and John and, and held them. They arrested them, held them overnight until a trial that would begin the next day. At that trial... The Jewish Supreme Court, the high court known as the Sanhedrin, came together and Peter and John took the witness stand. And Peter again took the opportunity to tell them about the Lord Jesus. And as much as they hated it, they really couldn't do anything about it. Everybody knew that a great miracle had happened. Everyone knew this man who had been crippled for more than 40 years had been miraculously healed. They couldn't deny that. Uh, They really couldn't hurt Peter and John at that time. The crowd would have. Rebelled against that, and so they decided the only thing they could have done uh, was just to threaten them, to tell them to stop talking about Jesus. And that's where we're picking up the story, right there in verse 23. Peter and John have just been threatened. Uh, They've just been told to stop talking about Jesus. They've just been released from custody. And now they go back to the rest of the church and they tell the church what happened to them and they start to pray. And we're going to eavesdrop and listen in to what. They're saying and what they're praying together. In verse 23 of chapter 4, we'll read down to verse 31 today. The Word of God says, And being let go, they, Peter and John, went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said... And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word today. We pray Today, that your Holy Spirit that gave us this word, Father, would speak to our hearts. Lord, we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, would you change us? Would you transform us by our time together today, by our time in your word today? And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I came across a story this week of a man named Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright was a well-known Methodist circuit-riding preacher who lived back in the 1800s. He was a man that never compromised, uh, who stood on his principles. In fact, uh, the reason why he left his home state of Tennessee and moved to the north, to Illinois, was because of his opposition to slavery. One Sunday morning, Peter Cartwright was scheduled to preach at a certain church And he was told just before the service began that that day, the seventh president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, would be in attendance at the worship service at that very church. And since they knew that Cartwright was a man who always said whatever he felt God leading him to say, even if people did not like it, they urged him on that day at least to not say anything that might offend President Jackson. Well, when Cartwright stood up to preach he opened his sermon with these words, and I quote, I understand President Andrew Jackson is here. I have been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. (laughs) As you might imagine, the audience was shocked that he would say those words, and they were worried that Jackson might be offended, but the president was not offended. In fact, after the service, the president went up to the preacher and said this, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. The title of the message today is the rarest Christian quality today. The quality that I have in mind is the quality that Peter Cartwright had in spades, and it is boldness. You know, that's a quality that Peter and John and the early church had in spades as well. In fact, that's what the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, noticed about Peter and John when Peter spoke to them in the trial. If you look back in verse 13 of chapter 4, we read this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And we looked at this verse last week. It it amazed them. Even though they weren't trained in the same rabbinic schools as as these religious leaders, they were still bold in the way that they spoke about the gospel. And, And I love that phrase, they realized they had been with Jesus. Because, of course, Jesus was the same way. He hadn't been trained in their rabbinic schools either. But when he spoke the word of God, he spoke it with authority in a way that they could not refute. When they told Peter and John, to not talk about Jesus anymore, if you look in verses 19 and 20, uh, they basically said, we're not going to do that. Uh, We can't stop talking about the Lord Jesus. We can't stop talking about the things we've seen and the things that we have heard. So they point point blank said to these religious leaders in this trial, we are not going to do what you're telling us to do. I mean, these men were bold. And the question that I have for you today and for us today is how bold are we? How bold are you? How bold am I when it comes to uh, speaking about the Lord, when it comes to living for the Lord in a culture that is telling us, by the way, the very same thing that their culture was telling them, which is to stop talking about Jesus. We're being told the same thing, to keep our faith private, only speak about Jesus in the church. We're being told that Christian beliefs and Christian viewpoints are not acceptable in our society any longer. And again, the question is, will you and I respond to the threats that our culture is giving us in the same way that they responded to the threats their culture was giving them? Will we respond with boldness? And I pray that we will. But there's a lot I think we can learn in these few verses today, I know this is a relatively short passage, and yet it gives us a wonderful picture of a bold church living in the middle of a threatening age. And let's notice some of their characteristics. First off, a bold church is going to be bold in prayer. A bold church is bold in their prayer. Again, Peter and John left their trial, they were released, they went back to the church, and they began to speak to them, and you would think that everybody would be a little bit on edge after they were threatened, after they were threatened by the very people that persuaded Pilate to send Jesus to the cross, and yet it doesn't seem like they were fearful or or frightened. If they were, they certainly took it to the Lord. In fact, as one person put it, far from being frightened, it almost seemed like they were exhilarated, and they turned to God in prayer, And, and what amazes me is not just that they prayed, What amazes me is what they prayed and how they prayed. I know this is a prayer for boldness, but this is also a bold prayer. And it was a bold prayer from the beginning of the prayer to the end of the prayer. They started their prayer with praise. Look at verse 24 with me. They said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. That word Lord that they use there is actually a rare word in the New Testament. It's a word that refers to God as the ultimate and total authority on earth. In other words, they were not only praising God that he was the creator of everything in heaven and earth. They were praising God that he is sovereign over everything in heaven and on earth. And then in verses 25 to 28, they begin to speak about a specific instance in which God's sovereignty was on display. And that instance is the cross. In verses 25 and 26, they quote from Psalm 2, because they believe that those words were fulfilled at the cross, that at the cross, the kings and the rulers of the earth had encircled the Lord Jesus Christ. They had gathered around him. They had taken their stand against the Lord and against his Christ. And so they are looking at that as having been fulfilled at the cross, and yet what they say, and I think this is so key, what they say is that even though uh, this was an evil act, in fact, I would say it's the most evil act that has ever been committed to crucify the Lord of glory, and yet the point that they were making here is that ultimately even that evil act was still under the sovereign hand of God. It was a part of his plan for Jesus to die so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be Forgiven. That's why in verse 28 they said, Yes, Lord, this is what they did to Jesus. But in verse 28, they say this: they did whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, what they did to Jesus didn't mess up God's plan. In fact, it fulfilled God's plan. It was what the Lord predestined to take place. And you might wonder now, why why are they talking about this? Why are they praying about the cross and about God's sovereignty? over the cross, and what happened there, it's because they believed that they were in a very similar situation right at that moment. That in the same way that the rulers of the earth and the kings of the earth had encircled the Lord Jesus at the cross, those very same rulers, those very same authorities, had now encircled Peter and John and the early church. They were taking their stand now, not against Christ himself, but against the bride of Christ, against the church. And they saw that Psalm 2 was happening over again. And they took comfort in the fact that the very same God who was sovereign over what happened at the cross was sovereign over what was happening to them. The plan that God had that could not be messed up by what they did to Jesus was a plan that could not be messed up by what they were trying to do to the church. Church, we need to have that same kind of ironclad faith in God's purposes for his church. That no matter what happens, no matter how much we feel like culture is encircling the church today and marshaling their forces against the church, that the very same God that they worship is the God that we worship, that his sovereign plan will move forward no matter what. We can know that there is no power in all of creation that compares to the power and the authority of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In verses 29 and 30, we come to the primary request of their prayer. Look at that with me. It says, Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they prayed that the Lord would look on their threats, that the Lord would see what was being done to them. And, of course, he already saw what was being done to them. They prayed in verse 30 that more miracles would be done. Not miracles just for the sake of miracles, but for the sake of authenticating the gospel message that they were proclaiming. And that's how miracles function in the book of Acts. It's what happened in Acts chapter 3. That miracle was done, that crippled man was healed, and it opened the door for Peter to be able to tell people about Jesus. And they were praying that more and more of that would happen. But at the end of verse 29 is really what is at the heartbeat of this prayer. They prayed this, Grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. Now I just want you to stop for a moment and just put yourself in in their place and, and think about all the things that they could have prayed in that moment. They could have prayed, God, would you stop these people who are trying to persecute us? Would you block them? Would you prevent them? I think I might have prayed that. They could have prayed, God, would you just kind of give us wisdom and insight on on how we can, you know, kind of navigate what they're doing against us and kind of get around it somehow without uh, catching a lot of flack. I might have prayed that. They didn't pray that either. No, they said, God, would you give us even more boldness to do even more of what we've just been doing, even more of what just got us arrested and just got us put in trial and just got us threatened by the same people who put Jesus on the cross. Give us more boldness to do more of that. When you think about it, that's an amazing prayer, especially to be prayed in this moment in time. I agree with one pastor who said, after reading this prayer, I had to ask myself if I had ever Prayed before. This is a confident prayer. It is a prayer that demonstrates great faith in the Lord and his sovereignty and his authority over what was happening to them. Again, they didn't pray for protection or for anything else. They prayed for more boldness. And Christian, let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for that? When's the last time you prayed and said, God, would you make me more bold for the gospel? Or here's another question. When's the last time you prayed that another Christian would be bold for the gospel? Maybe you would say, well, it's been a long time since I prayed that. Or maybe you'd even say, I have to be honest and say, I don't don't think that I ever have prayed that. I don't think I remember ever having prayed that. And if so, this is a very simple, very clear point of application from this message today. This is something that should be on all of our prayer lists, praying for boldness praying for boldness for ourselves, praying for boldness for the rest of our church family because again, we live in a culture that is threatening us to be silent just like their culture was threatening them and we will be silenced unless we're praying and asking the Lord to give us a boldness that only he can grant. If we're going to be a bold church, first off, we need to be bold in prayer. Secondly, we need to be bold in the spirit. Bold in the Spirit. After the early church finished praying together, they didn't have to wait long to see the Lord answer their prayer. Look look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Just like back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon the church, there was here in Acts 4 a physical manifestation of God answering their prayer. The place where they were praying was shaken. John Chrysostom, a famous preacher from the fourth century whose nickname was Golden Mouth, said this about this verse. He said, the place where they met was shaken and that made them the more unshaken. I love that. You know what really made them unshaken? It wasn't just the shaking that happened, it's what happened next. Because after the shaking came the filling. It said they were filled with the holy spirit of god. Now now to be clear, these were already Christians. These were believers that had already received the holy spirit. So what's happening in Acts 4 is not a second Pentecost. This is not a second baptism of the spirit. The baptism of the spirit is something in the word of god that only happens once. It happens at the moment of our salvation when we put our faith in Christ. But the filling of the Spirit is something that happens many times. In fact, it's something that we're supposed to pursue every day of our lives. That we would walk in the filling, in the fullness of the Spirit. Here's what Paul wrote about the filling of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. He said this, "...and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." The way that that phrase actually means to be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, this is a continual, ongoing reality that we are to be seeking every day as believers, that we would walk in the fullness of the Spirit and not in the fallenness of our flesh. There's so much to be said about the filling of the Spirit, but let me just share a couple of things. First off, when we talk today about being bold, I I don't mean by that that we're going on our own to just go out and try harder to be more bold. That's not going to get it done. You know, I I could go out and and practice jumping all day long, every day, and I'm never going to be able to dunk a basketball in this life, right? That ain't happening. I mean, I hope in glory, the Lord will give me that kind of leaping ability, but, but it ain't happening here. It doesn't matter how much I practice, I don't have it within me. I'm gonna need some divine intervention to be able to dunk on a 10-foot goal. In the same way, we need some divine intervention to be able to live with this kind of boldness. This kind of boldness that we're reading about in Scripture is a Spirit-given, Spirit-produced boldness that only comes when we're living in the fullness of the Spirit. And here's the other thing. When uh, the Spirit is filling a believer... And gives them this kind of supernatural boldness. That kind of boldness inevitably leads to something else. And that something else is the third thing that makes the early church so bold. They were a bold church because they were bold in speaking the word. If you go back and look at verse 31 again, it says And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened next? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so they prayed and asked for boldness. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. They went out from that prayer meeting and they were able to do what they prayed that they would be able to do. They were able to speak the word of God with boldness in the middle of a hostile environment. And as you read on in the book of Acts, this is what you see the church doing. The church is spreading out from Jerusalem all over the known world. They're speaking the word of God boldly. And by the way, it's not just the apostles are doing that. It's not just the quote-unquote clergy that is doing that. In fact, in Acts 8, verse 4, it's, it's the ordinary people who are a part of the church, the brothers and sisters in the church who were scattered. And as they were scattered, it says they went out and everywhere they told people about Jesus. And the word of God grew and grew and grew and spread all over the world. I know we're focusing today on that word boldness that shows up in our text in verse 29 and verse 31. This week I had a chance just to dig into that word boldness and and look at all the ways and uh, places in the book of Acts that that word shows up. There's actually two closely related Greek words that are translated as boldness in our English versions of the Bible. And and it shows up a lot in the book of Acts. This is a thread that runs throughout the book of Acts. And we won't look at every one of these places, but uh, this word shows up in Acts chapter 2. It shows up three times in Acts chapter 4. The word boldness shows up in Acts chapter 9, it shows up in Acts chapter 14, it shows up again in Acts chapter 18, again in Acts chapter 19, and then this one I think is my favorite of all. The word boldness shows up in the very last verse in the entire book of Acts. I want you to turn there with me if you would. Acts 28. Paul has, is under house arrest for two years. People were able to come and visit with him in this home and Of course, like Paul always does, he told everybody about Jesus that came there. And this is the very last verse of the book. Acts 28, 31. Preaching the kingdom of God, he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In in the Greek version of the New Testament, the second to the last word in the whole book of Acts is the word boldness. And the last word is the word that's translated there without hindrance, which basically means the same thing. It means to speak the word freely and without fear. And so this is how the book of Acts ends. It ends with the Apostle Paul doing what the church was praying for in Acts chapter 4. Preaching and teaching and speaking the word of God boldly to all who would hear it. As I've surveyed the ways that this word boldness shows up in the book of Acts, you know, there's a couple of common threads that shows up in these passages. And many of these passages, there's a connection between boldness and prayer, just as in our passage. And many of these, there's a connection between boldness and the Holy Spirit, which enables that boldness. And many of these, there's a uh, a mention of the hostile environment, the culture that they were having to go out and speak boldly in. And also in many of these passages, there's a statement about spiritual fruit, about how many people were saved when the church went out and spoke boldly. And so with all of those threads together, tying all of those together, here's a definition of boldness as it's used in the book of Acts. Boldness is a prayer-requested, spirit-produced quality that results in the word being fearlessly shared and many people being miraculously saved in the middle of a hostile environment. Let me read that again. Boldness in Acts is a prayer requested, spirit produced quality that results in the word being fearlessly shared and many people being miraculously saved in the middle of a hostile environment. Now with that definition in mind, I wanna go back to the question I asked at the very beginning. If that is boldness in the book of Acts, How bold is the church today in our nation? How common is that kind of boldness in the American church? If I'm being honest, I would have to say I don't think it's too common at all. Now, with that said, I don't mean to... To say or to claim that that I know how bold every member of our church is, or I'm not speaking about every single person in this room. I certainly don't know how bold every person in the American church is. I don't claim to know any of that, but just as a general assessment, my assessment would be, and I think yours might be the same, is that the church today in America isn't all that bold at all. In fact, here's what I would say as a summary, while the church in Acts was bold, the church in America is bashful. And we shouldn't be surprised by the results. And when we look around us and we see that the numbers of those who are following Christ, the percentages of Christ followers in our nation is going down, when we see that the percentage of those being baptized to follow the Lord is going down, when we see that churches are being closed, especially in many of our major cities, while the population continues to rise and rise, it's easy for us to look at the culture and to point our finger at the culture and to say the problem is with them. The problem is that they have turned away from God. But church, I hope you hear my heart on this. The truth is we do not live in a culture that is any more antagonistic to the gospel than this culture was. In just a couple of chapters as we keep going through Acts, a man is going to be stoned to death in the middle of the street for doing nothing but speaking about Jesus. As bad as things might be around us, that hasn't happened to me yet, and it hasn't happened to you, or you wouldn't be here. And so, again, I'm not saying that, that our culture is not hostile to the gospel. I think our culture is increasingly hostile to the gospel, but, but no more antagonistic or hostile to the gospel than, than this culture was. And so the problem is not actually something out there in the culture. The problem, we have to admit, is something in here in the church. The problem is that while the church in Acts was bold the church in America is bashful and that is why we're seeing the results that we are seeing and in fact just to, to look again at those three aspects of the bold church in Acts 4 that we've studied today look at those again a bold church is bold in prayer bold in the spirit and bold in speaking the word when I look at the church in America today I, I would have to conclude that very often we're the opposite of all three of those things Instead of being bold in prayer, we are often timid in prayer. We're praying if we pray at all, just out of routine. We just pray the same list of things that we pray every day, not expecting much of anything to happen because of that. We're not praying kingdom-minded prayers. We're not praying bold prayers. We're not asking God to do bold things. And because we're timid in prayer, as a result, we're also timid in the Spirit. And too often we're walking in our own flesh instead of walking in the power of the Spirit. And if we're walking in the flesh, it should not be a surprise to us that we don't speak very much of the Word. We're not going to be bold to speak the Word when we're walking in the flesh because, one, we're not even thinking about the condition of those who are lost around us when we're in the flesh, we're not willing to take that chance speak boldly for Jesus when we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, if something is going to change in our nation or even in our city, in Melbourne, you know, you could do a lot worse than the church just going back to those three things that are on that screen. The church would be bold in prayer, bold in the Spirit, and bold in speaking the Word of God. You know, on this Father's Day, I know this hasn't been a father's day message per se but on this father's day i I would make the case to you that that while god desires this kind of supernatural boldness for both men and women we see that in acts 4 the entire church was filled with this boldness But I would make the case to you that if the church in America is going to return to being a bold church instead of a bashful church, it's not going to happen until the men in the American church become the bold men of God that he has created us to be. And you know, statistics bear that out. God has given us, by his design, a leadership role in the home and in the family. And statistics bear that out. Statistically, when a father is reached with the gospel, and becomes a follower of Christ, his children are many times more likely to become a follower of Christ than if the mother alone becomes a Christian. This is the power and the influence that God has given to us as fathers. And while it's a great responsibility, it's also exciting to think about what could happen in our families, what could happen in our church, what could happen in Melbourne if Christian men, Christian fathers lived with this kind of supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered boldness. It would be amazing to watch. Here's a verse I'm praying for myself and my sons and for the other fathers in our church Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, we need some righteous men who are saved by the grace of Jesus, who are willing to live boldly like lions because we are following the lion of the tribe of Judah. We need some men who do not fear other men because we fear God so much that we have no fear of others. That's the need of the hour. We need more men who would live with that kind of boldness, who would boldly lead their families and their children. We need men who would live boldly with integrity in their workplace, surrounded with a culture that is trying to sway us with its winds. We need some men who would boldly speak the truth. Now, Now, I hope you hear me. When I say boldly speak the truth, that doesn't mean, men, that we have the right to be a jerk to people. The same Bible that calls us to speak boldly is the same Bible that says to speak the truth in love. It's the same Bible that says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is are things like gentleness, self-control, love, mercy, and grace. But we need some men who would speak out and speak up for the name of Jesus. You know, we need some men who would, who would dream some big dreams, who would believe what Jesus said, that with men this is impossible, but... All things are possible with God. Our churches need more men like that on this Father's Day. We need more fathers like that. And I guess my question is, why couldn't that start with the men who are in this room right now? So this is a little bit different, but I just wanna ask on this Father's Day Sunday morning, I wanna ask if you're a man in this room, if you're 18 years or older, and a man in this room, I want to ask you to stand with me right now. And I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you in, in any way. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do any of that. In fact, I just want us to do, men, what the early church did in Acts 4. I just want us to pray. Can we do that? Can we just pray and ask God? We know we need to live with boldness. We, own, we know we can only do it if he helps us. So as brothers in this room, can we just pray and just ask God to give us that kind of of boldness. If you're sitting right now, I wanna ask you right now to be praying for the men who are standing in this room. Whether you know any of them or not, whether you're related to them or not, some of them are your husbands. Some of them are your fathers. Some of them are your sons. And so join us in prayer right now. Pray that God would grant us this kind of boldness. Lord, I pray you would help the men of this church. Father, that you would help me to live boldly. Father, like the early church, would you help us to be men of prayer, men that would pray first, men that would pray passionately and boldly and with a kingdom mind. Father, as we come to you and we confess our sin to you, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Father, we need your spirit that we might have the fruit of your spirit in our life. The love, joy, and peace, and patience, and all the rest that only comes from you, from your spirit in us. Father, we pray that you would help us to speak boldly in a community surrounded by men and women that need to hear about the name of Jesus, the only name that saves. God, give us a supernatural boldness to be willing to take a stand, to be willing to point to you. Help us to do it in a winsome way, in a loving way, in a kind way, but in a bold way. Lord, we pray today you would give us the boldness of Noah who kept on building that ark even while the world mocked him for his warnings. God, give us the boldness of David who could stand before the giant because he knew that he did not stand alone. God, would you grant us the boldness of Daniel who stood for what was right and prayed even though he knew that a den of lions awaited him. God, give us the boldness of men like Peter and John and Paul and Father, thousands of other men in the 2,000 year history of the church who have been willing to stand for you, who have been willing to stand and preach your name and not recant even when they were burned at the stake or crucified. Father, help us in this day and age in which we live to live with that kind of boldness. Boldness in our families, boldness in our workplace, boldness in our neighborhoods. Father, may our dreams for our lives be bold dreams. May they be God-sized dreams. And Lord, we put our yes on the table. We say, Father, would you use our life, whether it's here, whether it's on the other side of the world, wherever you send us, would you use our life that others might know about your son, Jesus? And we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. I'm gonna ask men that you remain standing. I'm gonna ask the rest of the church that you would stand as well. Because again, boldness is something that God has called all of us to. We're gonna sing this song really just as a song of response, as a song of commitment. The song is called The Stand. And as we sing this out, the words say to sing with reckless abandon that we'd be able to take our stand because of the boldness that the Spirit of God gives to us. Let's sing this as our praise right now.